What a joy to be with you back here. Uh, we had a good day yesterday. The Lord was near. I told someone, I said, well, uh, the Lord uh, was working in all our hearts, and he was near. I said, that's the most important part of any kind of gathering in the life of the body of Christ, is that the Lord shows up. If the Lord don't show up, we might as well go home. And I believe the Lord is showing up, don't you? So uh, let's pray as we begin. Lord, how grateful we are to this day for your grace. Uh, we are all recipients of your grace and mercy. We stand here because of your great mercy that you've poured out upon each of us. We know, O oh Lord, that uh, we deserve your wrath. As, uh, as your people and as this nation. But Lord, you've been patient. You've been patient with me. You've been patient with your church. You've been patient with this nation. Even though we've cursed you, as a nation, we've thrown you out of our schools. We've turned against your word. But yet, God, you've shown us your mercy. And so I ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to be good recipients of that mercy. I guess, Lord, the word is grateful to you for your mercy. Because your mercy endureth forever. You are a God of long suffering. You are a God who often relents concerning the calamity that you would have to bring upon your people. And we are recipients of that. Thank you. So God, now as we share in your holy word, oh, holy Father, speak. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in it. Reveal your work to you, to us, your servants your majesty to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Lord. As a result of what you do in our hearts here today, we pray. This is your time. Speak. For we, your servants, listen. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Ezekiel 37. We're going to put in, in this great text, uh, about the vision of the valley of the dead dry bones. It's a, it's a very profound text, I think, for the day in which we are living. Uh, people have lost a lot of hope. The church has lost a lot of hope. Uh, we are in a day when the church is in great decline in America. Uh, we are in desperate need of a, a Holy Spirit movement of God. 
uh, a movement of God that is uh, the flooding work of God's Spirit sweeping His church and spiritual awakening sweeping this country. Uh, We are watching the moral and spiritual collapse of this land right before our eyes. And if there is not a turning point soon, we will go off the cliff. And so as the church, we should be very concerned right now. It should burden our hearts. We should uh, look at the famine that's in the land and we should weep. We should see the famine in the life of the church and we should weep. Because we know that this is not something that man can fix. Only God can fix this. And so, because of that, we must have hope in Him. And we must trust Him. And we must look to Him. But I want to tell you, I believe God is doing something. He is stirring His people. He is stirring his people. I've been serving our denomination for a long time now in prayer and now serving uh, in in my own ministry that God's called me to, doing the same thing, just doing it uh, in uh, Chris Schofield Awakened Ministries. And um, I can say this. The last four or so years, there's been an uptick uh, and you say, well, it hadn't been in the, it hadn't been in the culture. I said, no, it hadn't been in the culture. It hadn't been in the church. No, it really hadn't been that we're seeing the church take off. No, it's not that. But I've seen an uptick in people beginning to become broken. Pastors beginning to gather together and pray. Lay people beginning to realize they must seek the Lord together. It's happening all around us. Everywhere I go, I meet someone. There'll be tears in their eyes. And they'll say, five years ago, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or two years ago, God got a hold of my heart. And I begin to pray for spiritual awakening. And I will not stop until the day I breathe my last on this earth or until God sends revival and awakening. Maybe that's you. I hope it will be. God's calling. Because these are desperate days. Just like they were in Ezekiel 37. The people of God had been judged The very reason they are in exile in Babylon is because, because they had sinned against God. But not only that, they refused to return to him. Now, it's one thing to sin against God, but it's another thing to refuse his promptings to return to him and to confess and repent of our sin. And God is a God of great mercy and a God of great grace. But I want to tell you, God is also a God of justice. And our great and holy God, he is a gentleman too. 
and he'll let us go our way, but he will bring calamity in our lives to remind us that we need to return to him. And right now, I believe with all my heart, we, are, we have been watching calamity increase all across this land. Amen. It's happening. Happening in the church, uh, all kind of different phenomena. I mean, we can name them. I, I don't know. You got your natural and physical phenomena. Uh, you know, you got some of the most powerful storms that have ever, <laughs> that, ha- that have ever come to this nation since they recorded, started recording them. You've had, you, 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 all the wildfires, the different phenomena related to the, the COVID virus and all of that. You've got all those kind of things squeezing in on people, bringing people to a, a sense of, of restlessness and a need for, for change and a need for God. But then that's just one area, y'all. Then you're, you're, then you're talking the, the, the political issues. Oh, my goodness, we could go a long time on that, couldn't we? Amen. Then the social issues, the anarchy in different points in large cities, and wow, the, uh, all that's happening with that. Then you, you look on the, the, the side of the international. Look at what's happened internationally. Calamity after calamity after calamity. Unrest everywhere. And then the most glaring, the moral and spiritual. Wow, we're taking a nosedive, y'all. I want to read you something written by Robert Coleman. He's an evangelical writer, theologian, evangelism practitioner. Listen to his words. Men everywhere are sensing that something is missing in the life of the church. We have a form of religion, but no power. For most churchmen, there is no thrill in personal devotions, no spring in the step, no shout in the soul. The joy of sacrifice is gone. Complacency is the norm. While the church flounders in mediocrity, the world plunges deeper into sin. For the average person, life has lost its meaning. It is eat, drink, and be merry with every man for himself. A sacredness of home and family is forsaken. Standards of decency in public and private are debased. A spirit of lawlessness pervades the land. But the day of reckoning is sure to come. Moral and spiritual decline has its limits. There comes a time when we must reap the folly of our ways. Already we are beginning to see the disintegration of enduring values in society And unless something happens soon to change our course, civilization as we know it is on its way out. Yet, there is hope. Didn't there? Dry bones can live again. In other days of crises, When catastrophe is threatened, men and women have turned unto the Lord and found in him deliverance and strength. In fact, our greatest spiritual awakenings have come during the darkest periods of church history. Perhaps again, the perils of this age may bring us to our senses. And I'll say this, to our knees.
That was written in 1969. Could have been written today, couldn't it? God's been trying to get our attention, y'all, for at least six decades. Calamity after calamity. You know what God does? He disciplines us. And he's been doing that. And when we do not return to him and we do not repent and we do not begin to seek him with all of our hearts, he'll ramp it up to another level. That's God. But there will come a day when God will draw the line in the sand. And he'll say enough is enough and he will destroy us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see that day. Do you? Now, we have a window. We're in a window. But it's getting more narrow. And we must be the people of God. In past generations, at least four times in the life of this nation, the people of God stepped up. And they were the people of God. And they cried out for God's mercy. And they called upon him. They gathered in prayer gatherings. They sought him with all their hearts. And God answered. Are we going to do it? Will we be known as the generation that lost America to paganism? Or will we be known as the generation that sought the Lord with all our hearts? In Ezekiel's day, God's people had refused to return. And God destroyed them, carried them off into exile. But yet, in the midst of this, you see the mercy of God. Because what you see is the promise of God's restoration. Even out of the ashes. And we've been studying revival this week. And we've seen that God sends revival when his people are dependent, like the first century church. When they're dependent upon him in heartfelt, united prayer. God sends revival when they are, they are desperate for him. When they've sinned and he squeezes them, they, they get it and they return to him in godliness and holiness and they become desperate for God. They seek his face. He'll send revival. What does 2 Chronicles 7, 14 say? If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's a promise. But we've got to become desperate. But if we do not, God will draw the line and he will destroy us just like the people here. But God sends revival in a third season. And that's when he has destroyed his people. He sends it out of devastation. And that's what you see in this great text here today. The people have been devastated. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people have been carried off to exile. And they do not have any hope. And yet, he sends a messenger. And his name is Ezekiel. And here is his word. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, they were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered and said, O Lord God, you know. 
And again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. As we begin today, this is the first principle that I want us to get today related to this text and praying for revival and awakening. And that is this, that God always uses instruments in his hand to stir the body, to call the body to revival and spiritual awakening. And so we need to pray for that to happen. God raise them up. Ezekiel is that instrument. He had been prepared for that. He had prepared his, his, his life for that. How do you know that? Look at verse 1. The Bible says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. God's hand would not go and be laid upon anybody who was not prepared ahead of time for the task that was at hand. Only God's hand can come upon that person who has given attention to the vital spiritual life and, and they are in a position, just like 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they will pray and they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. They are in a position for God to do something through their lives. And, and, and Ezekiel was that person. And so the scripture says the hand of the Lord was upon him. So we know he had prepared his heart. Have you prepared your heart? These are pivotal days. These are pivotal days in the life of this church, pivotal days in the life of this nation. Are you in a position that God could lay his hand upon you and use you as an instrument of revival today? Do you want to be? Would you even be willing? And that's the thing about Ezekiel. He was willing and he was available. Look at what the scripture says. He says, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. It was not, this was not something that he decided to do himself. It wasn't that he was just going to say, I'm going to be on mission with God. No, this was the spirit of God that had laid his hand on Ezekiel and he was directing his steps in his path and he was responding because he was in a position to respond and he was available and he was obedient to what God was doing in his life. Are you there? God can use you in a mighty way. But look at what it says. The Spirit of the Lord set him down somewhere. He set him down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Now, I don't know about you, and I dare say, there are not many associations where the associational missionary has a stack of resumes waiting to give to the pulpit committee of the First Baptist Church of the Valley of Dead Dry Bones. <laughs> it's just not happening. I doubt there are many pastors that are going to apply for that position. You think? I'm sure this isn't where he, he would have loved to go. He'd love to go to a church that was vibrant and alive, a people that was ready to go. But <laughs> this wasn't the case. 
You see, God's call, God's leadership in our lives is just that very thing. It's God's. It's not ours. It's not something that I determine. It's something that God's determined. And God will use you where he wants to use you if you become available, if you become obedient. And look what the scripture says. And then he calls me to pass by them all around. I mean, the Lord, Lord wasn't going to let him just get away with just seeing the bones. He was going to take him all around them. And look at what the Bible says here. So he calls me to go all around them. And behold, they were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. So he gets the picture. These bones are dead and dry. And man, it's going to take a lot of work to get them revived. Wow, that would have scared me to death. Wouldn't it scare you to death? And then the Bible says, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, can you imagine being asked that question by God? What would you say? I, I sit here many times, I think about this, I say, well, I'm sure I would say, oh yeah, God, them bones can live. But then again, I wonder, hmm, why is he asking me that? But I think we know why. Because he's wanting to see if Ezekiel's heart's in the right place. Because you see, those bones living or dying were not dependent upon Ezekiel. They were dependent upon God. And old Ezekiel... He was prepared to trust God. And he says, Lord, you know, because that's not my job. My job is to obey you. And brothers and sisters, it's not our job to do the ministry. It's our job to be available for God to do it in us and through us. That's the key got to be the Spirit of God. And look what he says here. He says, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Brings us to the second element here, or principle. And say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, the body of Yahweh. In other words, this is God's divinely anointed speech. It's his prophetic speech. That God would speak through his messenger and his instrument and his, his, his servant. This is something that God would do through him. He wouldn't have to do it. It would be something that he would surrender to because it was the word of the Lord. The second principle is here is this. We've got to see the word of the Lord spread, shared, proclaimed, made known all over. In the church, outside the church, in homes, outside of homes. We've got to see the word of God shared. Not some word we've made up, 
not some word we've gotten from the newspaper, but the word of the Lord. And God has given us this word. Amen? Aren't we glad? And we got to preach it and teach it and share it faithfully. And so secondly, we've got to see that happen. And I love this next part of this. As Ezekiel becomes that instrument that shares the word, Scripture says, thus saith the Lord God to these bones, surely. (laughs) Now, why does he say surely? He's saying that this is what's going to happen because you share the word. Why is that? Because God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. Amen? And able to discern the thoughts and tensions of their heart. That's the word. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight because of that. And he says, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Why? Because the living word of God is shared. It brings life. <laughs> wow. He says, I shall surely do it. This is a promise, y'all. And he says, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. So Ezekiel was obedient. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly... Suddenly, don't you love that? A number of years back, I was with uh, Richard Owen Roberts, 91 years old, probably the foremost authority on revival and spiritual awakening that's alive today. He, uh, I asked him this question. I said, Mr. Roberts, I said, do you ever become discouraged about what you see happening toward revival and awakening? And he immediately popped up, and there was a twinkle in his eye. And he says, oh, no, quite rarely. I said, really? I said, despite the fact that the church is in decline and the culture is is just going crazy, he said, oh, no, I, I, I rarely get discouraged. He says, it's because I live by the biblical principle of suddenly. I said, well, now tell me about that. He said, well, suddenly, the dead, dry bones came to life. He said, suddenly, the Spirit came upon those in the upper room, and they became vibrant witnesses. He said, suddenly, the angels came to the shepherds on the hillside. And they went to tell others about Jesus. (laughs) He says, I live every day looking for God's next suddenly. Now, I I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. And I had preached in his church and 
we were talking about this passage after the church and at, at lunch, and he said, you know, while you're preaching, I noticed something. He said, do you notice that surely comes before suddenly? I said, whoa! I like that. The promise of God comes before the suddenly can come. God says, sudden, surely, and it's going to happen. And sure enough, suddenly there was a rattling. Now, I don't know about you. You ever heard a rattlesnake? You ever been? I've been. <laughs> I was a park ranger before I was called into ministry. So I've been real close to rattlesnakes. A lot closer than I really wanted to be. But when they start rattling, you know it. And I'm telling you, I, it, it's, it, it, it goes to your core when you're real close and you hear one start rattling. <laughs> it stir you up. And Ezekiel began to hear this rattling. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I bet old Ezekiel started shouting. I mean, can you imagine it? Dead, dry bones laying in a heap all over the mountain, in the hills, in the valleys. And they start rattling. And the scripture says they started coming together. And indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. In other words, they became dead corpses. Now, that's progress. <laughs> you know, uh, we, have, we do that in the life of the church. Oh, we're making progress. We got dead corpses now. They used to be dead scattered bones, but now they're dead corpses. At least you know how, how they look and who they are. But he says one key thing here, and this brings us to our third principle. If we're ever going to see revival come, we're going to need the breath of God to blow anew and afresh. Because that's what brings life. It's the ruach. That's the Hebrew. You know, Hebrew, you spit all the way. I don't want to spit on the first pew. That's why Tammy scoots over a lot. <laughs> but you know, it's so interesting when you, when you look at this great term in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God brings life. And that's what was missing. And you know, uh, I think about the church in America. We got all these buildings, and we got these structures, and we got these strategies, and we've got these plans and everything. And they're not, they're not bad. But you know what we need? We need life. When people come through that back door, you know what they're looking for? They're not looking for those structures and those strategies and those marketing plans. They're looking for life. That's what they want to see. They want to see it in your eyes. 
You know, when I was, <clears throat> and I know we're getting late, and I'm, I'm, I'm wound up here a little bit. But when I was at Garden Webb College, I, I was a park ranger for about four years, five years. We lived on the park, had our first two babies there. And uh, uh, anyway, God called me, and I had to finish my BA, and so I went to Garden Webb, and we moved there, and. One day I was going back, I walked back and forth to class, and there, there's a little old lady out in the front yard of her house. And she was pulling on a lawnmower cord, trying to get a lawnmower cranked. And I walked over to her, and I said, ma'am, can I help you? And I'll never forget, she turned around and looked at me with this radiant smile on her face, this glow. And she says, oh, no, me and my Lord, we'll get it. <laughs> and sure enough, she pulled that, that cord and that blooming lawnmower cranked right up. Right there. But it struck up a friendship. She became near and dear to us. And she became my Greek tutor. Her husband had been a language professor. She knew five languages. And I was a struggling Greek student. And she said, you want to study Greek on my front porch? I said, yes, ma'am. And every Monday I'd meet her, I think it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I can't remember what time it was, but we'd meet. And you know what? She'd have me a glass of tea with an orange slice, and we would study Greek. And that's where I learned Greek. Right there on that front porch. But I learned a whole lot more from Miss Mary. You know why? Because when you looked in her eyes, you saw life. And you knew she walked with Christ. And that's what people need to see when they come in this door. Are they going to see it in you? When people meet you, do they see life? in your eyes because Christ is alive and you've given attention to the vital spiritual life of Christ the third principle is we've got to see the breath come and the scripture says and he said to me and this is how it's going to come y'all this 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 is real simple he says you prophesy to the breath you pray You're not going to command it to come. You're going to ask for it to come. It's, it's the, the form here that describes this element of, of prayer. But notice that it's comprehensive here. He, he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds. I mean, we need the breath of God, y'all. We need the breath of God today like never before in the life of the church. We need to be asking. We need to be crying out on our face before a holy God. We need to be weeping before our great and holy God and asking him, Oh, God, send your spirit anew and afresh so that there will be life. And this culture will look and see life again in the life of the church, not death, 
but life. Well, here's what happens when we ask for life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came. It came into them. And they lived and stood upon their feet in an exceedingly great army. Life came, y'all. Physical life, spiritual life. They lived. They stood upon their feet. They were ready for battle. And they were a great army. That's what the Spirit does. You know that? The Spirit raises up the army. We can't muster it up. We can sit here all day as pastors and we can beat this Bible on this pulpit and we can beat it over people's heads. We can say, we need an army of people to go and tell. But it ain't going to happen until the Spirit comes. And the Spirit gets hold of a heart and a life and that heart and that life is changed and they're going to go. And they're going to go with resolve in their hearts to share Christ. That's why they go. But then finally, and, I, and I'll, I'll close with this point. Uh, we, verse 11. You, you know, it's so interesting about this passage, and I love this about this text, is that we get this vision explained to us by Scripture. You don't always do that in Scripture, but this one we do. And so the Lord explains what he means by this to his people through Ezekiel. And so here it is. He says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Israel being sent into exile, Judah being sent into exile, the devastation, the destruction, the pain. It's all there. This is the whole house of Israel. And they indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. I'm telling you, I'm in churches sometimes, and that's the sense I get. That they believe that. But that's not reality in God's eyes, is it? That's the Eeyore mentality, right? But here's what God says, and this is what matters. Therefore prophesy and say, verse 12, to them thus saith the Lord God, behold, (laughs) suddenly, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and I will cause you to come up from your graves, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, for I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. 
and I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's the promise. That's the hope. And it's not found in us. And it's not found in what we can do, but it's found in the promise of God. It's found in the resurrected Christ. In the hope of life that only Christ can give. We've got to proclaim that, y'all. And we've got to live it. And we got to pray toward it. The church is hunkering down like a whipped puppy right now in this nation. And it sits there and it says, oh, hum, another terrible day. The church is hunkering down and saying, well, that's just the way it is. I refuse to believe it, don't you? I believe that Jesus Christ is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could think or ask. But we, his people, have got to ask. Oh, we've got to say, oh, God, send your spirit. Bring your hope. And we've got to share the word of the Lord. As obedient, available, and prepared instruments in his hands. That's what revival is all about. And let me tell you, this promise, (laughs) the post-exilic church, they experienced it. Oh, yeah. Right before the 400 years of, of silence from God, prophetic silence. But he was looking beyond that to the Christ, to the resurrection, to the second coming, to the eschaton. And he was looking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in your land. I'm going to raise you up out of the grave. And I'm going to give you my spirit. That's hope. Amen. And that's what we got to preach to this world. Amen. So God can raise up his church out of the ashes. He does some of his greatest work in those times. There is no depth of sin and despair that is too deep for our great God to pull us out of. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. 
It is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path, and we come before you now. We thank you for it. We pray that you stir our hearts here. Stir us, God. Stir us to be available. Stir us to be prepared. Stir us to be obedient instruments. Stir us to be those that will share the word, that will ask for your spirit, that will truly, Lord, proclaim hope, that will be people of, of life. Lord, we know it's, it's, it's you. It's not us. So do it. Father, I pray that this church would be an instrument in your hand. I pray you're going to start something in the life of this church, Lord, that God will spread all over this county and all over this state and all over this nation. God, it's got to start somewhere. Why not right here? Oh, Lord, I ask of you to do that. You've got hearts here that are willing. I know your spirit is at work in the life of this church. God, do it. We pray, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Today, I invite you to come. The altar's here. Maybe you just want to come and pray for God to breathe his spirit anew and afresh right here in your own life, in your family, in, this, in the church in America. Maybe you want to come right here today and say, Pastor, I've been dry, I, but I'm recommitting my heart and my life to Christ right here. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ before. You've never come to know life in Jesus Christ, and you can today. Today you can. Your pastor will be down front to help you to know how. But come, come to pray. As God leads you, today you come.